Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts, a podcast where you, our listeners, can become part of a conversation with us. We are three therapists who are going to talk about the good, the hard, and all the in-betweens of life. Come join us. All right, guys, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts. This is Jessica, and I am alone today, but I will be okay, don't worry, because I have a friend here with me. Her name is Rachel Curtis-Vink, and we met over 10 years ago when we studied abroad in Jerusalem together, um, which was a very, um, basically everyone that we went with is like family now, and so we're we're all just close yeah. and cute. <laughs> So it doesn't matter how much time has gone by. We're like, oh, Jerusalem people like, yeah, okay, I'll do anything for you, whatever you need. And Rachel was very nice. And when I reached out, she said, yes, I will do this for you, Jessica. So I appreciate her a lot. So basically, I reached out to Rachel because she had a great post on Facebook. That's what triggered this thought in my mind. She posted about the Wayfair conspiracy theory that was going around And just kind of had a very logical, real response to it because Rachel has worked in anti-human trafficking before. And so she knows a lot about this. And so we kind of wanted to get her on to give us a professional opinion, expertise, a little bit of like an actual what's actually happening rather than the sensationalized conspiracy theories that are going around right now. So Rachel, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what you did in, I keep wanting to say human trafficking, but that's not what you did. You did (laughs) anti-human trafficking. So what did you do in anti-human trafficking? Yeah, thanks, Jessica. Yeah, so I worked for a few years for the International Rescue Committee's Phoenix office, and I managed their anti-trafficking program. And during that time, I helped a little over 80 uh, victims of labor and sex trafficking in the state of Arizona. There were four national victims, and during that time, I worked with the FBI, Homeland Security, local police. Um, and I contributed to the Arizona Human Trafficking Council, helping with creating some of their protocols for the state, and then did a lot of training during that time as well. Um, trained over 600 law enforcement, medical, other care workers, students, or community members just about the topic. So what is actually going on in the human trafficking world in the U.S.? Maybe let's start more local? Yeah, so, um, and first to even back up before that, um, just to give a definition about what human trafficking is. So it is use of force, yeah, force, fraud, or coercion in exchange for an act of labor or commercial sex. So it can be any mix of those three things. Again, force, fraud, or coercion. And those like in any sort of, um, in any case uh, that we took on, we always had to, you know, interview or look through the documents of, of those who interviewed the survivor um, looking for those elements of force, fraud, and coercion. Um, mm-hmm. 
And uh, the majority of the time, domestic sex trafficking um, looks very different than it would internationally or um, even, you know, foreign nationals that are trafficked here in the U.S. Um, But, uh, you know, a lot of times trafficking gets sensationalized by Hollywood and, um, mm-hmm. you know, by the media, people will be like, Oh, like, you know, you worked in, you know, instances like taken the movie and I actually haven't yeah. even seen that movie. Um, but, so, who uh, knows? but, um, but those, again, that, that's sensationalism and trafficking in the U S um, looks much more subtle and nuanced. Um, for example, um, most trafficking victims, um, domestic trafficking victims, uh, the majority are homeless. Um, and right. uh, there may be someone, you know, youth or otherwise, um, who may need food for the night or shelter. And so they will exchange that for a sex act. Um, okay. uh, the, you know, a lot of, because because of the labor laws, the way that they are um, in the U.S., we don't see as much labor trafficking, although certainly we do have many, many cases um, of, of labor trafficking in the U.S. Um, but for U.S. citizens domestically here, majority of sex trafficking. I think that's what people are terrified of right now. I think that this whole Wayfair thing has kind of like shined a light on (laughs) on human trafficking in the u.s and that it exists here i think a lot of people were just like wait what this is happening here in the u.s and and but i think it also became very scary very quickly where it was like what this is happening in the u.s and my children are going to be sold into slavery or you know what i mean just like very catastrophizing and stuff Mm-hmm. So can you speak yeah. to that? Do we all need to be freaking out? I mean, we need to be aware and whatnot, but what what can we do and whatnot? Yeah, so the short answer is no. You do not need to be freaking out. And um, here, and, and to preface that, let me share. So some of the risk factors specifically for sex trafficking in the U.S., homelessness, like I said, you have a lack of safety, isolation, um, any sort of, you know, emotional distress, reasons why you might run away from home, poverty, if there's family dysfunction, um, substance abuse, childhood sexual abuse is another big one, um, and then exploitation by any family members or just a lack of social support. So if you are doing all of those things for your children, mm-hmm. there is a very high likelihood that they will not be trafficked. And um, right. What you, what you really want to be worrying about more is sexual abuse um, because yeah. children are um, susceptible to that wherever they go um, and inside or outside the home. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children of the 26,300 runaways reported um, last year um, one in six were likely victims of sex trafficking. Um, and of the 16.9 million reports um, most that were made last year, most of them were related to 
child sex abuse material or sextortion, which we can talk about later, um, and, ch- and child sexual molestation. Um, and just about uh, child sexual abuse, um, let me share some other quick stats here. That one in four girls yeah. and one in six boys will be sexually abused before they turn 18. And 93% of children who are victims of sexual abuse know their abuser. So less than 10% yeah. of sexually abused children are abused by a stranger. So those are the things that you want to worry about most. Um, you know, if yeah. you if your child is not running out on the street, um, you know, I, I mean, I don't say that lightly, um, but, you know, as, as teenagers, that's the majority of sex trafficking happens in those teenage years where something's going wrong in the home. Um, there's economic downturn within the home, you know, various factors, and then they find themselves on the street. They're isolated. Um, you know, that's when they get cornered and picked up. Um, and right. the majority of us don't need to be worried about that. But like I was saying, sexual abuse, it happens. Um, and um, it happens much more than we think. Um, Way more. There we, are. Yeah. Yes. No, it does. And um and no one is immune. In my work, I've seen a lot of sexual abuse. And so for me, that is like a huge concern is keeping your kids safe wherever they are. But it is, mm-hmm. it's good to hear you say that. Like we don't, I think people are all of a sudden afraid that their child is going to be snatched out of their front yard. But really, it's continuing to teach and educate your child so that they can share with you if something does happen. Because it is yeah. very often someone they know. I've gotten a lot of questions, you know, friends or, or family members or others who have messaged me. And so I put together kind of my top three things that parents can do for their children. The first one being um, sharing with your child, having conversations about good touch and bad touch. Um, and you have Did you know that we call it stop touch and go touch now? Oh, no. I here I will educate you. That's the whole education. We say stop and go. The reason is because a lot of good touch, like bad touches, can feel good, and then good touches can be bad. So it gets very confusing. Mm. And so we just call it a stop or go touch. So it's like if you want it to stop, you say it's a stop touch. If you want, if you give them permission to go, like yes, mom, you can hug me. That's a go touch. But it's super hard. I mean, I'm sure parents everywhere. And this is definitely one of those things where some people will just roll their eyes and be like, oh, it's good or bad. But I think it is when we really dig into it, it's an important distinction because, yeah, I mean, if someone is sexually abusing you and then you as a child have a physical reaction to that and it feels good, it can get confusing, you know. And so, yeah, for little kids, we kind of differentiate. No. But stop and go touch is important to teach them. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Yeah, and I actually saw a recent article from the New York Times talking about tickling and when it's yeah. too much and yep. the importance of, you know, letting your children be in charge of, I love that. You're saying, you know, stop and go. I love that because, um, you know, in an in innocent situation such as tickling, if your child doesn't, you know, want to be touched anymore, if they are not having fun, 
um, you know, what do they do? And it's important that we teach our, our children that, you know, when they're in a situation they don't want to be in, that they have control to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And that when they say no, it means no. And so that later when they're in a different situation and they say no, and that person isn't stopping, they can really be like, whoa, this is not okay. And I'm going to fight back or whatever, you know, but you have to teach them first that their words have power. Different conversations around that even will get lengthier and more in depth as they get older. And so I think that's a really good one, um, you know, to, to, you know, have those conversations with your children. You hopefully have them multiple times throughout their childhood because those conversations will change. So the second thing I um, wanted to share, having a relationship with your child where they feel like they can open up to you. So it's so important. So regular one-on-one time. Um, mm-hmm. If you are only having one-on-one time or, you know, serious conversations or even just more in-depth conversations with your child when it is, um, you know, a, a serious topic, them talking to you is not going to be natural. And you want mm-hmm. them to have a relationship with you where if something did happen, that they would have the trust in you to be able to share that. Um, yes. And so mm-hmm. you want to, you want to normalize those conversations and you probably know much more about that than I do even. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did it a lot in my work, but I do think that that is a huge protective factor in being able to heal from whatever trauma does occur is Mm. the difference that I saw in kids who had told their parents right away and their parents took their side and got the child help versus kids who felt shame and pushed it down and it didn't come out until a lot later or the parents found out a different way. Those kids had a much harder time healing. And really the difference was that protective factor of having a trusting relationship with the parents. And those parents without fail had brought it up before and had talked about it with their kids. Ah, I love to hear that because that prevention is so important. Have you brought up the ACEs study with your audience? Yes, we have talked about it. So just to remind you guys, so ACEs is Adverse Childhood Experiences, and it's a test that you can take. It's 10 questions. And basically for every one that you say yes to, you get a score and then you get your number out of 10. And the higher your ACE score is, the more likely you are to do, I mean, just a myriad of things. Be homeless, you know, alcoholism, be sexually abused. That's one of the things on there. But then you're also more likely to have that happen to, you know, just a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. And that and leading off of that, it's even it even, you know, leads to health problems later on in life, chronic health problems, mental illness, yeah, obesity, abuse yeah, as an adult. Smoking. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The ability to, you know, maintain a job. There's so many things. And so, um, I, I, um, I hesitate to say this. My, um, my husband is really big on stats. And so he's always asking, well, where'd you get that stuff? Um, but, uh, just, in all of the trainings I did over the years and with all of um, the victims I worked with, it just, and then as, um, you know, just throughout church or the community, it was amazing to me how, and I know we already talked about this, but how 
sexual abuse is just so prevalent. And I would venture to say that it exists in every family. If it's not in your immediate mm-hmm. family, then, you know, extended family. I, I just think that you can almost guarantee that somewhere it exists. And um, yeah. yes, and uh, you just, so again, that importance of having that relationship with your child so that they can open it to you is just so important because when it does happen and it's bound to happen somewhere along the line in some form to someone in your family or extended family, um, you just want to be prepared and to mitigate all of um, the effects of that as much as possible. Yes, um, because it yes. will happen to someone you know. The question is, how are they going to mm-hmm. respond and how are you going to respond? And what are you doing yep. to prevent it? You know, if you're yep. old enough, yep. obviously. But I don't think we have any five-year-olds listening to this podcast. So <laughs> yeah. if you're listening, it's um, probably but, on you to be preventing it. <laughs> um, and then the third thing that I wanted to mention for parents is teaching about internet safety. Um And that is so big right now, Um, parental controls for phones or apps, and when appropriate, teaching about sexting. And because sextortion is real and on the rise. So I had a colleague last year um, who shared this example with me. Um, It was a teenage boy. He was young. It was, he was like 13 or 14. Um, And he had become friends with someone on a social media platform. And um, he thought that they were his age. Um, This person had um, convinced him to send inappropriate pictures of himself to them. And then once he did, uh, that person revealed themselves to be an adult who was then demanding tens of thousands of dollars that this young teenage boy could not afford or pay and he Mm -hmm. was too embarrassed to tell anyone and so he ended up committing suicide um and this this case happened in utah um Mm -hmm. and so that is much more on the rise even than just a few years ago i did a survey with my clients when i was still working because i started teaching a social media class so i just did a quick survey with all of my teenagers and asked them if they had been solicited for nudes and every single one of them had that man and that kills me to hear that but that's the reality um yeah definitely what's happening yeah so you just you know you really want to educate your children you know when they have a phone the education should, should start in some form you know uh you know according to their level um uh, or what's appropriate for them, but um, it's just getting younger and younger, and uh, our children need to know about that and um, what pictures are appropriate and what aren't, and if something bad does happen or you get yourself into a situation that you that they can talk to you. Again, going back to having that relationship with your child that they feel comfortable in coming to you um, is just so important. Yeah, absolutely. I love these very good protective factors of like realizing that you can keep your child safe in a lot of ways by protecting them from just the general hardships of life by 
creating a strong relationship, having open, honest conversations with them, you know, and that gives you a good chance and it gives your child a good chance. And so you can go to bed feeling okay, knowing that you've done what you can, you know, and really it's so simple. It's just giving your child attention and educating them on what's happening, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Empowering them to recognize what is right and wrong, what's appropriate, what's not, and how to use the internet and social media wisely. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. I love this. Tell us like, so you did a lot of trainings. What kind of did those trainings look like? What are things that maybe we as lay people need to know? Yeah. So, um, one of those things would just be how to recognize trafficking if it's happening. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, so some of those signs, um, you know, if you see someone, um, who is always around someone else, they're speaking for that person, not being able to speak for themselves. They may look malnourished. Um, there may be signs of abuse. Um, oftentimes, uh, pimps will tattoo their name on one of their victims as a sign of ownership. So you may see um, certain tattoos. Um, they may not have official identification documents. Um, Pimps will often, or those that are kind of in this industry, will often not leave a paper trail. So if they're using cash for a lot of things instead of like a credit card or if it's just oh, a right. one-time use credit card um, is is big. Um, uh, what else? So, you know, if they are living at the place where they're employed, that's more for labor trafficking. Um mm-hmm but never being able to go out alone. Um, you know, if they lack personal possessions or on the complete opposite end, if they have a lot of really nice possessions, but you're not mm-hmm. you know, sure. You're where like, where are you getting that from? from? Yeah. Yeah. So um, what one common um, typical, you know, like pimp prototype, you could say, um, is the boyfriend pimp where they will, um, they will, um, you know, find somebody who, um, they want to, to bring into their circle and, um, they will give gifts or, um, you know, provide maybe getting their nails done or their hair done or, um, you know, giving different clothes or shoes or different things like that. Um, and, uh, so that's where, you know, sometimes those items can come from, but going along with that, um, that also plays into some of the manipulation, the manipulation that happens, um, Mm -hmm. with, with victims where they think this person really cares about me and they, they want to protect me or they do protect me. And then, um, you know, after a few months, that pimp will say, Hey, well, I've done all this stuff for you. You know, you need to go do this for me. And, um, and then they're exploited and asked to perform a sex act, you know, um, for Mm -hmm. this, you know, person. And so, you know, that's, that's often how sex trafficking looks. Um, or, you know, like I said at the beginning of, uh, the discussion that it could even include just, 
the exchange of a, a sex act for food or, mm-hmm. you know, shelter for the night. Um, sometimes uh, there's, um, you know, truck stops uh, can often be a place of um, where trafficking is happening. Um, but really just kind of being aware of the people around you. You know, certainly mm-hmm. in um, labor trafficking cases, if you notice that that person hasn't left every time you come to that facility or, um, like I was saying earlier, that they, you know, sleep where they work. Um, mm-hmm. But just really being aware. And uh, a lot of times you can just notice that something is off. Um, and uh, also recognizing that that everyone who, or anyone who is involved in this, some people think, oh, well, those people just want to be a part of that, you know, a part of the sex trade or this or that. But it's so much more nuanced than that, where people are manipulated or they may feel like they have nowhere else to go. Uh, And so um, Mm -hmm. just recognizing where something might be off and, uh, you know, even just asking, hey, are you okay? Um, right. Do you need help? And seeing how they respond to you. And mm-hmm. um, so those are those are some of the things that some of the signs that you can look for. Yeah. And it does seem to me like the more that we look out for the people around us, our neighbors, the people we randomly see in grocery stores, you know, whatever, you really can be aware of people who are struggling and who need a little bit of extra help and you can do something about it, you know, but it's just Mm -hmm. a matter of being willing to be aware instead of just focusing on I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm just doing this, you know, but realizing that there's a lot of forms of this around. And so you do have to be aware, whether that is like sexual abuse, whether it is like sex trafficking or labor trafficking, you know, there's a lot happening out there. Yeah. And, and certainly in more extreme cases, you know, um, there will be, you know, if there's a, you know, a, a large amount of women or men involved um, in a sex trafficking ring, then you may see certain people coming in and out of a house, uh, you know, a house a lot, or maybe a lot of young people. Um I was at a concert one time and there was a man and woman sitting in front of me and my friends and um, he had his arm around her and she just did not look like she wanted to be there at all. And she just looked so uncomfortable and it made me uncomfortable. And that was the first time that I realized like, Oh, like, I don't know, this, this situation just seems a little off. And, uh, at that time I didn't say anything. I'm sad to say that I didn't even, you know, try, I was going to try and see, you know, if he left maybe, but it didn't work out for me to just, you know, ask if she was okay. But then, um, a couple years later I was on, um, I was in New York city and riding the subway and, uh, a man and a woman got into the car and he was just yelling at her and just belittling her in front of everyone and Mm -hmm. the whole car went, you know, silent as this was happening. And, um, she just sat there, you know, just looked down kind of in tears and, um, 
and no one did anything. And so I, you know, kept moving closer to her. And, um, and then when I had the chance, I was able to, you know, look at her and just ask, are you okay? Uh, yeah. And she just looked up at me and, and nodded. And I'm not saying that that was a trafficking situation. I don't, I don't know what was going on, but I just couldn't not to say something say something um, yes and you know yeah. yeah and I you know I was nervous because I didn't want this you know man who was verbally abusive and, and violent towards this woman to do anything to me but I just couldn't not like just say something and um yeah. and I think that's the biggest thing you know if you if you see something say something and um and uh even if you're wrong you know that's that's okay like at least you're just you can even just check on someone's well-being to see if you know they're okay or if they want help. Um, right is one of yeah. the, the the smallest, the biggest things you can do. Well, and honestly, as like a therapist, I think even for let's say they're that's just their relationship, that's just how things are. You know, someone coming over and saying, "Are you okay?" just can signal to them oh, someone realizes that this isn't okay. And so maybe I am going to stand up Mm -hmm. for myself a little bit more. And maybe I am going to start to realize that this is not a healthy place for me to be. And maybe I'm going to try and start formulating a plan to get out of it or something. You know, just like little things like that are saying, you know what, I am on your team if you need me. But like, it is your life and so whatever. But I'm going to probe and see if you need help. And I think that's an important thing to do is just put away the awkwardness and yeah, say something and say like, hey, that's not appropriate. Or, hey, are you okay? Or is there something I can do for you? There's just a lot that we can do, but we're so, it is uncomfortable to do it. And it is a little bit scary, but I think it is important to just, you know, be brave and do it. Yeah. And having, and if you make that decision ahead of time, that when you see something like that, that you will say something, you're much more likely to do it. Um, and so even just society right now, as you're listening to this, that the next time you see something that's off to just ask. It's just small steps. And I think we have like kind of sensationalized it into this, like, like taken, right. Which I also haven't seen, but I do know that Liam Neeson goes through quite (laughs) an ordeal to get his daughter back. I don't think that that's how it has to be. You know, it's just making sure that everyone is safe when you're around them is what it comes down to. Oh my goodness. Yes. Of the, you know, 80 plus cases that I worked in those few years, there were maybe three or four that were very extreme. The rest were much more nuanced and subtle, you know, mixes of that force, fraud or coercion um, of how it happens. And so, yeah, definitely not the sensationalized picture that Hollywood creates for us um, at all. So this Wayfair thing has been big. So tell us, what is your opinion on this? Like, what do we do with this information? How can we know if it's true and blah, blah, blah? Um, well, um, I kind of shared some, you know, things on that Facebook post that you had referenced, but even just the things that I've said here, you know, um, as far as, you know, that the Wayfair example that is highly, highly, highly unlikely, um, anything but a hacker who's done a really good job at, you know, putting some Easter eggs out there. Um, Mm -hmm. but in general is really looking at your stats 
um, knowing, um, so as far as like knowing if something is true or not, I would say just to, to trust in the professionals or the investigators and, um, and not, you know, um, just believe everything that you hear, but also, and especially right now is to recognize that there is just a lot of sensationalized, um, statistics out there too, or how statistics are portrayed. Um, Mm -hmm. and I know that I kind of mentioned this to you just about, um, how some stats are, um, you know, uh, portrayed as this univariate analysis instead of the multivariate multivariate analysis that it is or the multifaceted mm-hmm. problem that it is. Um, so, for example, um, you know, you'll see some stats that will say that uh, that Black or LGTB are um, trafficked more than other groups. And while that may be true, it's not because they are LGBTQI plus or black or any other race for that matter. It's because they suffer or they may be suffering from, you know, some of these um, other factors that we've talked about of poverty, of homelessness, of social isolation. Like an LGBTQ youth is more likely to be homeless. And so that would be then that risk vector versus their sexual orientation. Yes, exactly. Um, And so just kind of recognizing how these stats are um, delivered to you and also how marketing can be sensationalized to be very emotive and to play into your emotions on this topic. Um, So really recognizing question um, what you're being told, look at the sources of where it's coming from. Um, You know, even where stats are being um, put out there that, um, you know, the International Labor Organization does estimate that 30 to 40 million people are enslaved today. um, But that that will often be given when talking about child sex trafficking, when the majority of those victims are labor trafficking victims. Um, and right. Okay. That's not interesting. Children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, again, so think about when all these stats are, you know, or just people putting slides together on Instagram and sharing them everywhere um, or even nonprofit organizations that want you to donate to them. Um, just, recognize how they're playing into your emotions, some for good reason, um, but certainly those that want to scare you or that are involving politics in this discussion. Um, this should be a bipartisan issue, hands down. All of us can get behind anti-trafficking mm-hmm. efforts. And certainly when politics are brought in, that's just not appropriate. Um, and we, again, right. that's playing into the emotive side of things. And as well as your political psyche and, you know, everything else. Um, so just be very wary of that. And as well, be very wary of, you know, when people want you to donate to their organization, when they're saying that mm-hmm. they've been involved in helping all these cases, ask, well, how many? Are they claiming that they've helped? You know, are they using that saying that they've done, you know, a plethora of, X amount of work when really they've just helped in a couple of instances, um, you know, organizations can exaggerate certain things. Um, so you just 
you know, be wise about the things that you are subjecting yourself to, that you um, intake, that you're listening to. This is a heavy topic. Um, and so, um, and it can really bog you down. Um, but don't, I mean, do your own research. Look at, actually look at the stats. Where are they getting their stats? Um, you know, look, look into some of these things. Uh, and, um, you know, take it in stride. Yeah. So I think that that is also something that is coming up now as people are kind of getting these really sensational, really intense stories that are very heartbreaking and very hard to hear. But then Mm -hmm. we're then jumping to the conclusion that that's going to be my child or that's going to be all children kind of a thing. Yeah. And then we're getting overwhelmed emotionally and then we just shut down and we don't do anything really because it's too hard, you know? So how do we protect ourselves emotionally while still being active and doing something, but then also protecting yeah. ourselves from some difficult realities? Yeah. So um, as we've been talking about, you know, recognizing when things are sensationalized is a really big one. Um, and then really, you know, self-care is important. You know this as a therapist, and I know this, you know, working one-on-one with survivors. Um, but even, you know, secondary trauma and, you know, tertiary trauma, we, you know, we can feel that. Um, I certainly, some of the cases that I had, I, you know, reports that I got from FBI or Homeland Security, I couldn't finish reading them all the way just just to protect my own health, you know? And Mm -hmm. so recognize when, when you need to just step back, take a breather, go take a walk, get outside, do something that brings you joy. But, you know, self-care is really important. And, um, but recognizing that it is a reality and then empowering yourself and your child to recognize abuse primarily. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then the signs of trafficking, Um, and then, you know, like I was saying, really, just really look at the data that you are, or the, the stories that you're subjecting yourself to. Um, and, uh, you know, take it in strides, make sure that it's accurate. And, um, and then, you know, if you want to do something about it, I would say, you know, you can definitely get involved. I know that, um, you know, some simple ways I know in, in Phoenix, you know, we would do different, there were different races, you know, to raise money or awareness on the topic that you could run or be in, you know, or things like that. Um, or even, you know, a lot of, um, there are so many local organizations that help with this. Um, even organizations that aren't specifically dedicated, uh, to trafficking, um, so, for example, you have, um, like, the Polaris Project and um, a test that, um, you know, they are in, in the U.S. helping with this, um, a test being that Alliance and Slavery and Trafficking. Uh, but there are local organizations in your community that work on this. Um, there mm-hmm. may be shelters. We worked with so many different shelters or um different programs that were more focused on domestic violence or abuse in general. Uh, but we were able to house our survivors there. Right. You know, so that, or if you're, you know, if you are in therapy, you can, 
you can give some of your um, hours. We had, you know, in some of our, with our aftercare programs, we, you know, we had therapists, we involved dentists um, to help with dental care. We involved medical workers um, for medical care. Uh, we also, one of the things that I really loved, um, we started doing a monthly outing with our survivors. So we would go horseback riding or to a community event. I had one, mm-hmm. um, and this isn't a motive story, but it's true. <laughs> so I'll just preface that. Okay. One of my mm-hmm. survivors, um, she, um, she had never taken her children out to any sort of like outing or I guess a, a date you could say with your children. And mm-hmm. uh, we had this, um, there was a, a local theater that would give us tickets every year to the Nutcracker. And so I made sure that all of her children and her were able to go see the Nutcracker and she just loved it. Not only the performance, mm-hmm. but she came back and told me that she saw this man and woman sitting in front of her and just how much love she felt that they had for each other. And that was her first time seeing a positive relationship between a husband and wife. And Mm -hmm. that experience just in seeing a man positively treat a woman for her in her paradigm and reality, she had, she had so she had gone through years and years of abuse and uh that was more impactful you know than even the performance or anything else was just mm-hmm. seeing um you know that positive interaction i share that just because maybe there's you know you're connected to a theater or a dance class you know so many times we are all about sharing um and you know donating for things and causes or, you know, stuff that happens on the other side of the world and neglect our own backyard and trafficking really does happen in your city. It happens in every city all over the U.S. in some form or degree. And so even just doing a quick Google search, you know, for the anti-trafficking organizations in your community um, to see, you know, what those are and, um, talking with them if you want to get involved or just donating to them. And, um, you know, uh, I, I love to, you know, say, think globally, act locally and, you know, give where you live. Um, mm-hmm. As cheesy as that may sound, it is so important that we recognize the, the problems and the realities in our own communities and, um, and get involved there. Um, I would say before, before we help elsewhere. Yeah. And before we started recording, Rachel and I were talking about this of like, when you have a passion project, um, like if you're, you've heard stories about human trafficking and it's really like hit you, then do something with that passion. You know, like you're allowed to go and get a job in an anti-trafficking, you know, like, like the IRC or, or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, you can do that. You can volunteer, you can do that. But then also if you say, okay, I'm anti-human trafficking, but you know, my local center isn't hiring or whatever, then say, okay, well, homelessness is a risk factor. So I'm going to go out there and then serve the homeless and help the homeless and get a job with the homeless shelter. And that way I can 
reduce the risk for those people. Or, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can help. But if you feel moved to help, then go and help. You can do it. This is not just like, oh, Rachel is so high and mighty because she worked in trafficking and in anti-trafficking and she did such great things. And she's doing the work and I'm just like at home being afraid of it. But there's so much that you can do. You can always give money because that's just like an easy way to do it. But you can also say, I really do feel really passionate about this. Like, what can I do to get involved in? And then just go and do it. One other quick example was that um, a, a friend of mine um, at church one day, she was telling me, because she knew I worked in this, and she told me, so she's a PE teacher, and she told me that she um, saw her student in the middle of PE class catching herself inappropriately. And I asked her, well, did you report it? And she was like, wait a minute, what do you mean? And so I talked with her about reporting, and, um, you know, different states have their, you know, different laws on who's a mandated reporter and who's not. But, I mean, if you're part of the PTA, you know, making sure that your teacher's you know, know what to look for and know proper protocols. I mean, to Jessica's point, you know, there is so, so many different ways um, to get involved if we just use, you know, what we're doing um, and, and help. And um, Jessica, not to correct you or anything, but you mentioned um, women that these well, um, I just have to say, um, no, that's that funny because when I about... said it, I was like, oh, it should be saying people. <laughs> that's, that's great. So, yes. Tell these people. Well, well, about half of, uh, the survivors I worked with were men. Um, and so just know that this isn't just a women's issue. Um, it happens to men. One of the most extreme case actually that I worked, um, was to men, um, who it was one of those extreme cases where they were locked in, you know, shut into a room, not allowed to leave. And, um, then their sex acts were recorded and they were made to do that. And, um, and, uh, and that case was written up in the news and, you know, cause it, cause it was one of those extreme cases, but point being that, um, it's men, women, children, um, foreigners, um, you know, if you live here that, um, yeah, there it it happens in so many different forms and in so many different ways. Um, yeah, and Jessica, I did want to mention uh, that if you do um, suspect trafficking, there is a national human trafficking hotline. Or, of course, you can always call your local police. They will know of resources in your community um, to connect uh, to get help to individuals. Yeah, this is stuff that is heavy and hard. But if you see something, say something. And like I always said, um, so in my line of work, I call DCFS a lot, which is the Department of Child Family Services, basically the foster care system to report people. Um, And for me, I just always erred on the side of reporting, you know. And so Mm. you report, they get to decide what to do with it. And so if you see something, just call run it by someone and they'll tell you if it's something that you need to follow or if they're going to follow or if they're like, Oh, actually that sounds pretty normal. It's fine. Like it's, you know, five minutes of your time and it's worth it just to probe and see if it's something that does need to be looked into. So if you're wondering, Oh, should I call? I don't know if this is anything, just call and see and ask someone who does know because they've been trained in that, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Agreed. 
it is just so interesting how like more of the these different sides just overlap and really that's what we're talking about like go out and just do some work because if you want to help in this field there's just so many different ways that you can whether that's just volunteering one afternoon a week whether that's just donating money to a local organization you know you have a lot of options and so get out there and do something and if you see something say something and just be aware of the people around you and that's really the best thing that you can do to protect yourself to protect your family and to protect your community really So I just want to say thank you so much to Rachel for coming and so much for having the expertise because not everyone knows about this stuff. So I appreciate the work that you've done to become an expert and to like actually put some time and effort into working on this issue. And so appreciate it. Thank you for coming. You're the best. Well, thanks for having me again, Jessica. And and thanks for just sharing this message and, and getting the word out. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com. And if you search ThoughtsPod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Vrijic from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us.